a strategy should be one paragraph or one page. It should have two points of view. It's the business point of view and the consumer point of view. And then it's got three parts to that. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with Julian Cole. Julian, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me on. Excited to have a chat. He's live and direct from Portugal. I'm uh, very, very envious. Julian has worked as a strategy consultant to brands, including Uber, Apple, Snap, Facebook, and Disney. So some of the biggest, most recognizable brands on earth. Previously, he was head of comms planning at BBDO and BBH in New York, where he's created a list of award-winning work for brands like Bacardi, Foot Locker, Mountain Dew, Snickers, and M&Ms. I love this bit. You, you helped to launch the PlayStation 4, and it went on to become one of the highest-selling consoles in history. From 2019 onwards, Julian started the Strategy Finishing School, where he's helped literally thousands of marketers around the world to complete his program and become better strategists. So when I thought strategy, I thought, Julian, want to get you onto the pod. It's an elusive space. I think it's a difficult space for lots of, for lots of marketers out there. So let's rip in. So what does a strategist do? Yeah, so a strategist, there's a lot of different types of strategists. And I'll talk about the type of strategy that I know best, which is a strategist who sits within a creative agency. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about that, even if you don't have a creative agency, it could be the strategy that takes you to your advertising, you know, from marketing to advertising. That is what, what I focus on and the strategy that I work in. So all that creative agency experience, I was an in-house strategist there. And then as you were saying, I went into client side and helped them with their in-house teams in strategy or when they were briefing out to creative agencies. So when I talk about strategy, like the basics of strategy, I've got a model which I call the 3-2, it's like a 3-2-1 model. Yeah. I mean, one, two, three model, which is a strategy should be one paragraph or one page. It should have two points of view. It's the business point of view and the consumer point of view. And then it's got three parts to that. And the three parts, and this is what all strategy has, no, not even advertising strategy. It has a problem. It has a goal. And then it has the insight and solution, which is the way around that problem to get you to the goal. So when we talk about advertising strategy, we're usually thinking about that from the two points of view. So we need to make sure those two points of view align. So I always find it easiest when we talk through an example with this. Mm -hmm. So an example for that is in like 2019, Spotify came out with this campaign called Listen Like You Used To, which was targeting Gen Z's or Gen X's, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So Gen Z's, Gen Y, all on the platform big spenders of money in music, and then they also spent on streaming services. What they realized when they looked at the data, they had a business problem because Gen X were spending a lot of money on music, but were spending the least amount on subscriptions, mm -hmm. streaming subscriptions. So they were like identified what the business, and, and you could say that's the marketing problem, was. The difference between just a kind of a strategy or a business strategy and an advertising strategy, as I was saying, it's the two points of view. So we've got the problem there and we can see it from the business's point of view. Their problem is Gen X's not wanting on the platform. And then secondly, you know, there's probably some smart goal they've got around that, which is like grow by 2% within the Gen X category in 2023. 
Yeah. So that's the business side of it. Yeah. Then when we look at the consumer side of it, you've got to look at it from a completely different perspective. Okay. We, we have to ask the question, well, why aren't they subscribing to these services? And so back then, the biggest problem was they realized that a lot of Gen Xers were feeling like they were being left behind by culture and music. So there was this interesting statistic that came out, which is when you turn 34, you start listening to more older music the newer being music that was published in the last year. Mm-hmm. And so it's this moment, and definitely I went through it myself, where you <laughs> I, kind I may of I like, may not be guilty myself, Julian. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of feel like, oh my God, like I don't, I try to understand as much as I can, but it feels like everything's moving past me really, really quick. Hmm. So they realized that this was a problem and, and Spotify was kind of caught up with this of like, the, they had a lot of cachet of being like this cool cultural brand. They realized that a lot of people were feeling like left out by this and they were thinking, well, the music I like, that's not going to be on Spotify. You know, the music that I was listening to in, you know, 1998 or 1988, not going to be on on Spotify. And you can see a completely different problem here. Consumer problem was feeling left behind by culture. Mm -hmm. Business problem, no, we need Gen Xs to buy our platform. So two points of view here we've got. Now, the insight that unlocked it was what we just talked about. It's kind of interesting when you're told that, oh, yeah, you're right. Mm. And so what they did is this campaign around London and it, and I'll I'll kind of voice it over for you what the campaign was. It was like 1988, you're 24 hour party people, 2019, you're two to four hour party people. (laughs) Definitely understand that. Or it's like 1998, baggy jeans, and the spy skills are on tour and then 2019 ditto. Mm. And so what they were trying to show was like, actually you are part of culture and culture kind of goes on this cycle and you're, you're part of it and Spotify sees you and we understand, and we've got that music that you, you like. So listen, like you used to was the campaign. So these billboards were all around London. There was another one like UB40, red, red wine. And then it's like, you, you are 40, red, red wine. <laughs> uh, so just uh, like really smart billboards, which said, hey, and this was all around London on the way for people coming in on their commute when they're thinking about listening to music and probably listening to their radio or something else. This was like, hey, actually, Spotify's got that music that you like to like as well. So mm-hmm. if we go back to it, it was one paragraph. So I've got a way that I usually write that up, which is, you know, I call it like the nested strategy because on the outside is the business problem, business goal. Inside of that is the consumer problem, a goal, and then the insight and single-minded message. That's the one paragraph we would write like that. Um, then the two points of view, the business and consumer, and then the three things. We've got the problem. So for the business, Gen Xs, then if we do this campaign, we believe that we'll get more Gen Xs on. And then from the consumer's point of view, their problem was they're feeling culturally on the outer Mm. this campaign helps them show no no you're part of culture now you're still you're still right in it gives them that confidence and then the solution is listen to spotify Mm. and so that's how i define a strategy one two three that's all the pieces and so essentially the business problem always that's kind of the driver right that's the thing that gets brought to the agency or brought to the in-house team and then it's yes from there we apply the framework yeah. And, and yeah, we, we always begin with the business problem and the business goal. 
Yeah. Uh, where do we want to get to? How do we know what success looks like if we get there? I think the biggest mistake that I often see is that it's just left there. So you you kind of have creative briefs, which is not a creative brief because a creative brief is looking at it from the consumer's point of view. They'll often have things like, we need to create awareness of this product, new product feature. Mm. So we've got to create awareness of our new playlist if it was Spotify. Yeah. That is not a creative brief. And that's because that's just saying your problems as the brand. So we really need to understand both sides of it. Yeah. And I guess all, all great marketing starts with the customer, right? In terms of their pain points and their understanding and their life, right? Yeah, totally. And then in terms of the insight, how do we get the insight? My definition of what an insight is, is it's a revelation that shows us a new way to look at the problem. A new way to look at the problem is either, I, I see it as kind of two ways. The first way is it reveals a new solution that we hadn't thought about, or it reframes the problem to a bigger problem that we didn't even know existed. That's what it is. But I think the most important part of what an insight is, and it often gets abused in companies, is an insight has to be a revelation. There's a difference, you know, if you if you hear a fact, if you just nod your head and go, yeah, that, that sounds about right, that's not an insight. 58% of mums say they're busy. Mm. That's Yeah, everyone knows that. That's mm. You're not giving us anything new. But a revelation is something that we've never heard of before and never thought about in that way. I was working on a competitor to Roomba, the electronic vacuum cleaners. Yeah. The insight that came out was actually just from an Amazon review. And the Amazon reviewer said, Roomba is like your drunk roommate trying to clean. And I was like, hang on. Yeah, you're right. It is. It does that weird kind of pattern where it's not going in like a straight line and just goes all over the place. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that is how my roommate would clean. So you see that you have, hopefully you have a reaction. Uh, you're mm. like, huh. Uh, they say like comedians also deal in insights. That's, you know, they set up the common expectation, then they shatter that expectation and show you mm. a new way to look at something. Scientists and artists as well. So they say when a comedian hears an insight, he says, ha, a scientist says, aha, and then an artist says, ah. And so I always look when I'm talking with my creative team or another strategist to see if I've got an insight, that's the test. I just look at their faces and I say, are they like lighting up and saying, oh, that's that's a great way of looking at the problem mm. or not? And like, how do you get to it? Like, because you've got so much experience, right? Working yep. in, in Manhattan, big agency land, huge budgets, teams of people solving really, really important complex problems. How do you get to that point or that process? Is it literally doing something like skimming through Amazon reviews and picking out something that resonates? Is it huge months of research? And then I guess the other end of the spectrum you're a small in-house marketing team with very limited resourcing. Like, is it the same approach or very different? Like, how does it work? I think the very first point would be having a clear understanding of what the problem is. Like, what's the consumer problem? Because that's what you're trying to do. You're really trying to reframe that, either reframe the consumer problem or what people think is the problem or provide the surprisingly solution. So it all starts there. Then... The common ways that you get to it, and we'll go from big budget to zero dollar budget for yeah, research, awesome. yep. because that's what you really need to know. On the bigger budgets, what we'll do is we'll go and talk to consumers. 
who are in the target market. And what we're trying to do there is learn a couple of things. We're trying to learn what is their frustration? What role does this product play in the higher order of their life? Why is this purchase so important to them? And then try to work out what's the frustration. So when we were doing it for PlayStation, what we realized was one of the biggest problems that they were facing was actually a bigger cultural problem. So we interviewed gamers and what we heard was when they had this mastery or skill in the game, so say they won FIFA 21, they thought or culture told them that that's not a real skill or that's not a real achievement. They were feeling all these emotions, this elation, this adrenaline rush of like, yes, we just, I just won. But they were told dampen that down. Mm. That's not real. But if you win your indoor soccer league with your coworkers, that's like fine to celebrate that. And you're like, yes, that's, that's mm. real greatness. You know, we really achieved something. And so for us, the insight came out of those conversations, the frustration that gamers were having because we wanted to align with them. So the whole campaign was to invite, inspire and challenge gamers to their greatness because we wanted to say as PlayStation, another cultural brand, the feelings that you have, they are legitimate. They mm. are real feelings and that's how we're going to do it. So that all came from interviews yeah. with gamers. Now, so that obviously costs research. a lot of qualitative research yeah. that's going to cost a lot of money you're not going to be able to do that on every budget so there's a lot of research that you can read you know as we were going down when i was doing the Roomba reviews that was just me another junior strategist us freelancing hmm. and we had 24 hours to pull that so you can do things of reading amazon reviews i think and i've got ways that i've done it with also which i can talk about in a minute with like chat gpt i think what the most important part of it is is to really understand what you're looking for because it can come from anywhere. You just need to know that you're looking for a revelation. You're looking for something, someone saying that's contrarian or it's a paradox. It's like, oh, that shouldn't make sense because what we're trying to do with the, the reason insights are so important is they're really breaking what most people want to do with advertising. Most people want to go, okay, here's an ad, here's the pattern, I can disregard this. I, I can blank out. I don't even have to pay attention to this. And so that's what happens with most advertising is like we try to blank it out because we know a oh, chocolate brand coming on screen. They're going to talk about how good their chocolate is and it's going to end with some shot of them eating the chocolate bar. What we want to do is reframe that and capture their attention. Go, oh, oh ah, never thought of it that way or, or change mm. the opinion of them. What we're trying to do is often catch them out. And that's what an insight does. It makes us look at the problem or it makes us look at a, a situation in a totally different way. When you're researching, so it could be reading what consumers said, also reading who are the experts in that field? Who knows the most about that audience that could give us an interesting point of view? Who are their muses? If you're a young female athlete, Serena Williams is probably your muse. So what's she saying that's quite contrarian to everything that we've heard before. Mm. And so you're trying to look for those statements or look for those revelations that are going to, again, reveal something new to the audience. So on the very small, very $0 budget side of things, there is this startup brand called Billy Razors. So they're in America entering the worst possible category. They're like a dollar shave club, yeah, okay. but they're entering for female razors. And what they realized is Women are paying a pink tax on shavers. What insight they really got to and the revelation that happened, and now it's kind of commonplace, so we don't even 
really blink an eye when we see it. But the insight they came onto was in TV ads for razors, they love to remove body hair. Mm. You know, they're showing us how to remove body hair, but they're always on hairless legs. Mm. So you think about the Venus ads from 2000. I've, I've literally got the, the image in my, yeah, 100%. And you're shaving legs that have already got, like, <laughs> are we too afraid to even show hair in yeah. commercials? And that was their insight. That was their unlock. It was an unlock about the category that the category wasn't even allowing women to have a choice around body hair or even have any confidence about mm. body hair. There was It was just an evil. So they reframed the problem. They're like, women would think body hair's, an unnecessary evil that we need to remove where what Billy was saying was, no, it's actually a choice. It's a choice. And we're celebrating that choice. Mm. And we're saying, Hey, it's all right. We're putting body hair in their ads. They would not have had a big budget, mm. like a scrappy startup. Mm. Obviously they had some funding, but that insight completely blew it up for them. And that got a lot of attention and got some PR. So that's what we're, always looking for it it can come from anywhere it can come from a conversation with your partner it can come from you know someone doing a phd it could come from a report what we're trying to look for is the contrarian point of view mm. once you know your topic that you're dealing with once you know the problem that the consumers are trying to solve and use your product for a couple of other environments that you can do it is often editorial will have it. So journalists often write in it. So it's not the news stories happening every day, but when you look at the editorial pages and there's some places that are really good for this, like in America, it was the Atlantic was really good. Yeah. What you'll see is in the first sentence is an insight because they're talking about a topic that's been really smashed in the news, but they've got to give you a new point of view or a new way of looking at it. Mm. And so they'll often deal in insights. Other places are like Reddit shower thoughts. If you go to the subreddit shower thoughts, search your problem or your brand, mm. they'll often have really interesting points of view in there because what a shower thought is, is, hey, I'm thinking something. Why doesn't the rest of the world think this? Let yeah. me put it out online. It feels unspoken. And that's, again, what an insight is. It's an unspoken truth. That's why it always kind of like resonates. So if you see any that get really popular on Reddit, what we're seeing there is an unspoken truth mm. being spoken for the first time and people having that reaction like, oh my God, yeah, I mm. I totally agree. I, that's the way I see it as well. That's another area you might be able to find it. It doesn't need to always be expensive research. The thing that I would say is the more important is once you think you've got that insight, testing that. So going, going along and saying, hey, I've just had this thought. And how did, because that was actually my next question, right? As as you were talking, kind of the whole shower thing, you you mentioned comedy, right? The great comedians have this ability to give us a perspective and it's like, oh, it's so simple, but I've never heard it come come from that kind of perspective before, just that kind of insight into the, the human condition. But as you were talking, I was thinking, how do you validate? Like, how do you validate that? I do think of that, you know, vacuum cleaner acting like a drunk, roommate or yeah if i'm a woman and you know yeah i could imagine that how is how i would feel looking at ads with shavers how do you kind of validate that that insight is yeah you've got the aha that it's going to actually resonate with a broader audience versus you know a sample of two kind of thing okay we'll go we'll go the top level and then down so we'd test that in creative agencies yeah we'd have panels we'd have focus groups and we'd run past what we call a couple of territories 
Okay. It might they would have insights that were underneath them. And then there's probably a creative idea over the top that we'd run past them. However, you could also just test insights. Now, if you've got zero dollars, what are you going to do? I think you probably look at your customers that you've already got. And is there some way that you can have an interaction or a conversation with them? Are you just going into a shop if you've got some retail footprint, talking to customers there and looking and gauging the reaction? Are we seeing that surprising response mm. from them? That is what you're looking for when you're talking to other people within the organization. So often when I was in creative agencies, I would go around to the creative director, go around to the strategist, account director on the team and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Do I see any reaction from them? Because they probably know, especially if they've been working on the brand for a while, know the brand pretty well. Mm. And probably you kind of almost fit into the customer after a while because you've researched the category so much. But I'd be going out and talking and looking for those responses. You could do that in a qual survey. How surprising was this response? There's probably a couple of key words that you're looking for. Surprising. Yeah. Did that unlock something for you? There, there's certain ways, but you wouldn't, you know, you're not trying to lead the horse to water here, but yeah. there's certain surveys that we set up that would be like that. There's also visual surveys where you can kind of show five different responses. Hey, what was your face, facial, were you smiling, shocked, da, da, da. And yeah, that's right. what we're looking for. We're like looking for the shocked. They're usually the first. And then if you really, you don't have any money, maybe you're sending it out as an email headline. Yeah. And then, you know, you're AB testing that against two. You know, I'm yeah. getting real scra scrappy down here. Yeah. But there are things we could do. We could look at it, click on it, you know, and, and even in the scrappier versions of like watching, you know, maybe we send out something very small and we watch the video playthrough rate of mm. it. I don't want to get too far down. No, there no. That's I think like, great effects. Yeah, I think that's a good kind of uh, summary of from big to small, right? As you're talking, yeah. we obviously do so much work in the digital space. Digital does allow you to test things in a kind yeah. of reasonably small kind of te test market, which which I think is is good. You left agency land to set up the, the finishing school, strategy finishing school. I'd love to just for you to talk about it. Like, what is the structure of it? How does it work? What are the modules? What are we coming out at the other end with? Yeah. So the reason that I started the strategy finishing school, it kind of mirrored my journey a little bit where I was always a self-taught strategist. So I'd come up through agencies who had just kind of thrown me into the role and I'd never had that traditional training in strategy or learned the strategy fundamentals. And there came a point in my career when I moved to New York and moved to BBH at the start. And I realized that my career was halting because of my own imposter syndrome. I felt like a fraud. Mm. Felt like I was on a visa too. So I was like, if I lose this job, I get kicked out of the country. So I was running on kind of this kind of scared emotion. And I doubted myself and didn't want to show my strategy to anyone and didn't want to admit that I was self-taught. What I realized was I was holding myself back. I went to my boss and said, hey, I've actually never had the proper training. After that moment, I got a fundamental training in strategy. I got taught by some of the best strategists in the world and strategy training is very rare, especially in agencies. At that point, that was when my career really kind of took off. It was like when I was able to get promoted to head of comms planning at both those agencies and then go on and freelance. And I couldn't do that without that confidence from knowing the fundamentals and knowing I had certain frameworks that I could lean back on. And so when I went out and was... Uh, working within all these companies and talking to other strategists, 
what I realized was I was not alone. Like that journey of being the self-taught strategist of, Hey, you're the smart person in the room. You're going to be our strategist. Mm. I'm not, I wasn't alone on that journey. I wasn't the only one. And I could see how many people were being held back because they never got the fundamentals because that type of training is only in like four companies, four to five companies in the world, in agencies and probably in client side as well. So there's no, um, um, it would be business degrees, marketing degrees, comms degrees. There's nothing at that level, right? In, in terms of no. this type of work. So literally you're getting it in big agency land or potentially yep. super big corporate land, right? Who would have just ginormous in-house teams. Is that is that right? Yeah. And the, and the time for a boss to explain the process to you as well. Mm. Um, I always say that strategy is more like an apprenticeship than a white collar job because you're often sitting under someone and learning from them. And unfortunately, as margins have got squeezed in agencies, you're often put on accounts and to fend for yourself and you've stopped that learning straight away. And when you think about remote work now too, mm. there's no way of learning because one of the things when I was running teams in America, we'd sit all the strategists together, which sounds, yeah, that, of course you'd do that. But they used to sit in client teams because you just need to hear the conversations. You need to walk past a computer screen and go, hey, why are they doing it like that? Can mm. I see that presentation? That's just not happening anymore. Mm. It's It's gone because you're working from home three days a week. And so I realized on top of that, but the, the main thing is the fundamentals, like explaining what we've we've had a quick chat about today. Yeah. Once you have that and once you understand that, that's really going to help launch you, your career. So the way the strategy finishing school set up is the first chapter is all around the strategy fundamentals. So it gives you the confidence to understand how to put a strategy together on one page, not 68 slides, which is what I used to do and what a lot of strategists <laughs> at the start of their career, they're like, Hopefully you'll find the strategy in here somewhere, but I'm not going to say which slide it is. In, it's in terms the of the whole thing. When you say strategy, are we talking, mm. we're not talking business strategy, right? We're, we're at the kind of creative campaign level. That's yeah. where we're talking, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the fundamentals of strategy stay the same. The, yeah. you know, when we talk about a business strategy, that still has to be on one page and it still has to deal with what's our goal, what's stopping us from reaching the goal and what's our solution. What are we what are the tactics we're going to do? That yeah. doesn't change no matter what. So if, the interesting thing is, is that I thought, oh, I'll only be relevant to creative strategists who are working at, at agencies. But since then, I've had um, over 4,000 members in the strategy finishing school. And the amazing thing is, is that they're coming from B2B, pharma, PR, media, all these other in-house agencies and anyone who has to deal with a creative output or has mm. to make a campaign or any creative or brand strategy, this is really helpful because it's helping you give that language of how to structure everything. And so a lot of it is based around kind of the key frameworks that I believe in. So we talked about strategy on a page, but the other key one I always talk about is the creative brief. Mm -hmm. And the formula I use for that is the get who to buy brief. Other ones is like the comms framework, which is all the messages that you have linked up to the problems, linked up to the media that you will communicate that through. That's really helpful when you've got multiple messages or, you know, you've got a consumer journey where you want to tell multiple messages at different times. The comms framework helps for that. And then we've got things like the blueprint and the ecosystem. So I take you through the fundamental frameworks 
that help you go navigate the process so you know exactly what you have to do at every step. And the course is all on demand. So you go through it in your own time, which was massive for me because it was like when I was in Australia trying to get onto webinars that were on like mm. New York time, yeah. just couldn't do it. I'm not yeah. waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and so this to be able to democratize strategy and make it really easy to understand. I needed a platform where you could get it when you want and how you want. On top of that, I've got my Google Drive, which is full of 15 years of the frameworks and templates that I use. And I think that's really important as we go on and strategists have less and less time to work. You need to have those frameworks that save you from the blank piece of paper mm. because it takes you so often. So one of them in there is like the framework factory, which is 50 frameworks that I often use. And so that's so helpful because I know when I'm building something, I'm not starting from scratch. I can be like, Hey, that's the one that I need and looks like what I'm trying to do. And then I start from there. Finally, there's like a private community that we've got where people can ask questions, get feedback on their work. And at the end of the first chapter as well, I get people to send in their strategy portfolio or their operating system if they're working they're building out a strategy department and they need to sell it to the agency. Yeah, I tell them, send that in to me and I actually give personalized feedback on that because I think that's a really important step too. Often in strategy, no one's there critiquing and giving us the real critique of our work. Mm. And so I wanted to be able to do that because I've been lucky enough to work at big companies and then big brands to, to know what they're looking for. Yeah, it's great. We connected based on some of the rocket team doing the course. And I think you're right there, right? Like we're a digital agency that does have a creative team that does a lot of work for our clients, but to help us kind of move into this space and to do the work we do, it's been so helpful. And I was kind of saying to Julian before we started recording, the, I think the ability to make the complex simple is real art. And that's something that we've um, we really enjoyed by, by doing the course. I'd love for you to talk about how to write a creative brief because I think that is of such uh, practical use for so many listeners to the pod and your framework um, is one we've, we've started to adopt within the agency. So yeah, I'd love, love for, you to, for you to speak to that for a few minutes. Yeah, so the difference, I'll start with the difference. So I've introduced the framework of the strategy on a page, which was the one, two, three strategy. So what that document's used for is anyone within the organization, we can send it to them, the, the finance department, they can sign off on that marketing budget. We can send it to the creative team. What the get who to buy uh, the creative brief is for is this is specifically for the creative team. It's the final document that we firstly brief the team on. And then we also review the work against the get who to buy brief is really simple. It's kind of like a prompt type of brief and it's got four pieces. And I think this is the essentials of every brief. You, you don't have to use the get who to buy, but you need to know these are the four things you definitely need in a creative brief. So the get, you write consumer target there. Who are you going after with this ad? Then the who statement is the consumer problem. And so this to me is the most important part. What is the big problem that they're dealing with? The two statement is the consumer goal. Where are they trying to get to? And then the buy statement is the single-minded proposition. What's the one thing that we want to tell people? So that is how we set up the brief. Every brief that we write, and this was something I learned at BBDO, 
is written through the get who to buy. The thing is creatives love it because it's so simple. Mm. It gets straight to the point. It's the fun document. Like a briefing obviously includes a lot more information and a lot more flair and, you know, there'll be a budget deliverables and timings on the end of it, but this is the information. And the reason it is so important and the way, the way you have to write it is it's all of those things are from the consumer's perspective. So a creative brief, and this is always my litmus test on a creative brief, is it's never having the words, we need to create awareness of this, or we need to advertise this feature because that's all your problems from the business. It's all written from the consumers. So again, let's go through an example because I feel like that always helps. Mm. So I was lucky enough to work at BBDO who had the uh, Snickers account and you're not you when you're hungry, which is, you know, such iconic work. It's easy to do a big iconic brand, but it's something we probably all know about. The background to that was Snickers was getting absolutely smashed in the chocolate bar category because everything up to that date was all about the taste of chocolate. And unfortunately, Snickers doesn't taste that good. Their chocolate is not you know, premium Belgium style chocolate. I don't, I don't mind a humble, humble Snickers, uh, Julie. A humble Snickers it's is prob- good. Probably one and- of my go-tos. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe the reason it's one of your go-tos as well is because it is the bar that's the most filling and satisfying because it's mm. filled with nuts. And so because it's filled with nuts, it's keeping you full for longer and your hunger is satisfied. So mm. their overall, I think, positioning was around satisfied or most satisfied had a bit of a brain melt right now. Yeah. Most satisfying or something around satisfying. Yeah. So that was the original one. Their original target was actually young men, young, young boys don't like to cook, are expending a lot of energy playing sports and all the rest. So they were going after young men. Now we think of the bar and, you know, the advertising is for the general population, but mm. they they targeted young men. And what they realized was these guys were going out, spending a lot of energy, going from like, oh, lots of energy to complete exhaustion, hanging out with friends all day. And what they realized, and this and this took a bit of understanding, was when guys were feeling hungry, they started being hangry and started acting out. So they would be like acting out in front of their mates. And at that moment, friendship when you're 16 friendship is all you care about Mm. and they were acting out because they were hangry and they didn't know this what the campaign really focused on it's it's not you you're just hungry what they realized was okay we need to focus on this part being the most satisfying for that moment Mm. and so the the problem was guys were acting out when they were around their friends and then the Two line is, is that they wanted to kind of see Snickers was the most satisfying bar and be a part of the pack, not, mm. not stand out. And so the byline was you being hangry that was keeping you out of, mm. uh, of the mix. So the, the consumer problem there was the real thing that kind of was, they were really focusing on the problem of you're not yourself when you're hungry. So that was the get who to buy for that. I'll give you another example because it's always good to have a couple of examples for this, was Cheetos Popcorn. They had this great campaign about three or four years ago where they, again, I feel like unlocked a really good consumer problem. What they did is it was an ad with MC Hammers, You Can't Touch This, 
and it was a guy holding his hands up and he'd eaten Cheetos <laughs> and he was being asked by everyone in his life to help with something, right? It's like, can you help fit? It was like the first scene was help this boss. Uh, the boss comes up to him. Oh, can you uh, do this paperwork for us? And he's like, just holds his hands up with the Cheetos dust. Yeah, I can't, I can't do this. Then his friends at the gym wanting him to spot him and then his hands are up and then there's people moving his apartments. He just throws his hands up with the Cheetos dust. And what they realized was probably similar audience, young audience. The consumer problem there was the world had kind of got to this hustle culture of like, you know, if you think of the Gary V's of the world of just like hustle, hustle, mm. like make optimize every minute. And now it's kind of quite popular, this either, you know, the quiet quitting or not working so hard, not burning yourself out. But for the time, it was quite rev mm. revelatory. So an insight. They realized that the consumer problem was like in a hustle culture world, they were feeling quite isolated, these, mm. these guys. And so what we wanted to do was say, hey, take the time, take a break, mm. You know, and that's what snacks are for, they're, they're mm. to have a break. So snacks, take a break to relax and not feel like you have yeah, to far, do far everything. Deep, far stay. deeper than the actual context of eating a packet of chips or some popcorn, right? It's kind of got a much deeper yeah. kind of resonance. Yeah, level. I can't imagine so, you yeah, on, that... um, on Super, Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday or Super Bowl Monday as it is here, just watching all the ads, just uh, you'd be your, your Christmas day, wouldn't it? Yeah, the, it was it was great when we. I had a couple of... Um, ads in there as well, which was that's really exciting when you're like at yeah. a Super Bowl party and you're like, oh, that's I worked on that. Yeah, I can't, um, can't imagine. They were they were the good good moments. That's great. Um, what I'd love just finally, what I'd like to talk about is you kind of touched on it earlier, but generative AI. So you mentioned ChatGPT. I'm not sure if you're playing around with Google Bard or any other platforms, but how that is assisting people like you do the work that you're doing because I know you've done a lot of work in the space yeah so I'm I'm very bullish on it and I I think it's going to be helpful it's a tool and we've got to use it as a tool I think it's not replacing us but being open to new technologies is always the way for me I've kind of had a lot of backlash because I've been probably one of the most vocal in the strategy space about how to use it and what to use it for yeah so the common misconception conception or the common problem is when you ask chat gpt give me an insight on you know hilton hotels actually this is a good example because i actually did this for it. what it will do is it will give you the amalgamation of the average person trying to write an insight so it's like if i ask someone on the street tell me an insight it's probably the same it's like ah an insight maybe that they've got 400 hotels across Hilton, uh, across the world, or they've got a great green environmental policy. As we've talked about at the start, that's not a that's not an insight. That's yeah. that's not a revelation. That's like, yeah. oh, okay, yep, well, 400 hotels. What you need to do, and and I think this comes back to all strategists, and it's actually a great exercise. Is you need to work out what would you need to tell the average day person to make them a great strategist. For me, when I did it for Hilton hotels what I did is I said, well, I know it's a revelation. So it's the complete opposite of what people think. So I asked, tell me the 10 cliches about hotels. And the first one was like, it feels like a home away from home. And then I said, tell me the complete opposite of every single statement. And it had heaps of statements, you know, nine out of 10 of those statements didn't make sense. 
but uh, the first one did. It was said, um, hotels are nothing like home. Mm. And I thought to myself, actually, that's probably a good kind mm. of insight for, for Hilton is because while the world is trying to be like Airbnb or they're the popular thing of making everything homely, actually, sometimes home sucks. Mm. It's like full of stress. It's full of dishes in the cleaning. dishwasher, you know, in the cleaning. <laughs> Un- unresolved issues. <laughs> so many of them. So it's yeah. like, oh, that's something we can use. And the only reason that was, was because you're pushing it to be the contrarian. You're pushing it to say the complete opposite. Mm. And that's when you find something great. And so if you just stop and say, hey, tell me insight or, hey, write a brand strategy for me or or write me some new ads, it's going to give you trash, Mm. like absolute rubbish. But if you can think, how can I change the way I use it? It'll really help. The second thing I'd say is, I think of ChatGPT like salt in cooking or with a meal. Salt's really good when you're preparing a meal. You know, mm. if you want to salt over here in Portugal, it's salting cod, keeping it for a very long time. You never use salt in the middle of a dish. You only use salt at the very end to, mm. to up the taste. Mm. And that is the same with ChatGPT. Use it at the start for hypothesis, hypotheses and hunches. Yeah. And then you use it at the end for strengthening up your strategy writing it more creatively Mm. writing it with less words making it punch harder that's when you use it but you never 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 use it in the middle when you're trying to validate an idea that's when you got to go speak to customers or go somewhere else because it's going to just make up bullshit it's going to tell you what you want so use it at the start and the end but never in the middle it's a great metaphor um the salt one and we come at ChatGPT from a different perspective, just being doing different discipline than what you do, but very, very similar perspective. Um, for us, we have a saying within the agency, which is ChatGPT won't replace you, but someone using it will. We'll be very disappointed if it's the only thing you're using, um, but very disappointed if you're not using it. And for us, it's fast mediocrity to just it get stuff from nothing to 50% very, very quickly. And then it is expertise and understanding and the science and the art of whatever discipline that someone in the agency has, you know, spent the last three, five, 15 years honing. Um, but then, yeah, the, the finishing touches work on this and give me three different variants or whatever else. And it can be really effective. But yeah, I think the salt one, I'm going to start using that one. I'm stealing, stealing your, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, can we do a trade here? Because I actually really like the, um, it's not going to replace you. Well, I, st- I, stole, I stole that one too. I, I stole ah, that okay. at a, an SEO conference I went to in, in Texas in uh, in April. But yeah, sure, I'll take Great. it. Great. Yeah, yeah, take it. It's a bit of a trading of uh, AI, AI-isms. It's a, it's a good one. Mate, it's been awesome talking with you today. Um, I always finish the pod with a, um, it's a simple question. It's sometimes hard to answer, but what's the best piece of career advice that you would give to a, to a I'm, I'm going to say an Australian marketer. Um, I know you're over there in Portugal, but you know our market well. So It comes back to this last point where two things, it's being really open to change and being on the boat that is changing first, you know, being being one of the first in the boat because that is going to stand you in good stead. And, And I think throughout my career, if there's one thing that's really, really helped was I always put myself in a position like I'd, I started my career in social media. I wrote a thesis on social media in 2008. On my, It was when MySpace and Facebook were changing yeah. over. It was yeah. that year. And I knew that that was going to be a rocket ship to put yourself faster on the fast track. And I think if you're always open to new things, 
it's the best place to be rather mm. than fighting it, just trying to have that kind of open mind and see how it can work stands you in good stead. And then the other, the other thing I would say, if you're open to having your opinions out there and publishing 99% of the people won't do, they just kind of consume. It's very, very frightening. And I'm, I'm sure you can recognize this very frightening, putting your own voice or opinion out there. Yeah. Cause you're like, people are going to say I'm dumb or I'm going to get, you know, shut down on this. Yeah. But as someone who's probably annoyingly has constantly put my own thoughts out there. It's done two things. What I've realized firstly is no one's going to pull you down. Mm. And then secondly, it just makes you better at your job. So Mm. teaching strategy or having opinion and writing and putting it out there has grown me exponentially as a strategist. Uh, I think it's really helpful to, if you can put yourself out there, do it LinkedIn, wherever it is, Twitter. Mm. Give it a shot. They're awesome. They're two like, excellent bits of feedback and um, I couldn't agree more with both of them. <laughs> Love both of them. Uh, Julian could talk to you forever about strategy. Thank you so much for your time. So generous and um, hope to get you back on the pod at some point in the future. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.